How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Oh, yeah. That was great. That was really great. I'm surrounded literally by artists. So yes, you to... are. This this is a remarkable crowd that we have here tonight. We have two Zoom kids. Well, three if you count me, I guess. We've got Bernadette. We have Leon, who's calling in all the way from Hawaii. We've got my co-host Mark and Tom here. Tom is sort of in the background, so you might not see him tonight. But our, I'm just so honored to have the award-winning David Camp, the author, the best-selling author, who is here today, calling in from Connecticut, but talking about Sunny Days, the children's television revolution that changed America. And it's just such a great book. But I don't know whether you guys know, David's yeah. also the author of uh, The United States of Arugula. That's David's book, too, which is an incredible book. So. David, welcome, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Dr. Joe, I'm honored to be on with all of you and with, with Leon and Bernadette as well. It's 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 mind-blowing for me. Wow. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, David. You. That's good. That's all we need. Show's done. That's all. I just <laughs> okay, needed, fine. Just needed to hear that from an, award, an author like David. David, let's just go right into this book. Um, to tell us a little bit about the premise of the book and, and what inspired you to write this now. Well, the book is called Sunny Days, and the premise of the book is simply it's it's Zoom is one facet of the book. I'm sorry, the book is not entirely about Zoom. The book is about this cluster of shows that emerged in the late 60s and early 70s, meaning Sesame Street, The Electric Company, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Zoom, and even non-PBS shows like Schoolhouse Rock and Free to Be You and Me. I was a small child when these shows came on, and the more I thought about it, I realized this isn't just a slate of children's program programming that happened to run over a, you know, a period in the 60s and 70s. This actually constituted a social movement. These TV shows were engineered to create social change for the better, to recognize the interior lives of children. And I kind of use this glib phrase in the book, the children's liberation movement. But I think it's kind of true that we had women's lib back then, but to an extent, and I think Leon and Bernadette can get into this, and you too, Dr. Joe, you're, you were liberated from being more, less, um, you didn't have to hold your feelings so close. You could be more open in a way that a generation before you couldn't about your own emotional issues, your own racial issues, your own interpersonal issues. So that's the book. And, and it is true. <laughs> it's very true. I mean, uh, Leon, you, were, you were there. What, what was that like for you? That, that was the early 1970s. Yes, it was, it was, it was, uh, a, a, we were able to allow, we were allowed to be free. We were really 
a program children by children and we didn't hold back our feelings and our issues and we dealt with everything that was pertinent in our lives at that time and it made me who I am today the issues and the things that I experienced being there yeah Bernadette you and Leon were right in there together in the shows we were in that taxi every every afternoon that we were driving into into Boston. I thought I was irritating you. I had no idea. Because <laughs> Lori and I would be in the back just wah, 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 wah. <laughs> But Leon was, um, he's still my brother. And um, I never realized how close I could get with, with peers. Because in my school, um, I was really known as the shy person so I was very quiet and at home I was pretty quiet so being with Leon and Laurie and with um, and with Chris and you know the production staff they really helped me to open up a bit more and to come out of my shell and and it was so much fun that I kind of let go of my guard and every time something would come out of my mouth everybody would be like yeah you know more you know it was they were encouraging self-expression um and i didn't realize that until the reactions i would get because usually if i spoke up i would kind of get a stern look like you go back down in the in your bedroom or don't come up until you're asked you know for my mother but um yeah so it it, it changed my life and and it's still a part of me today yeah I, I, David, is this is this sort of the way it works for you? Is that as as a, an author, you you do a lot of interviews. So, what's it like for you right now, being interviewed? <laughs> so we're interviewing um, you, David. Honestly, we are we are interviewing it, you. It's a pleasure. It's 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 actually a really dangerous ego trip, and you created a monster, Doctor Joe. So so beware. Right. Uh, no, I mean, it, 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 yeah. I know, this is a wonderful opportunity, first of all, just to, to uh, kind of share with, with the subjects of the book some of the joy of what of, that I took in watching what you are describing as your experiences. And I watched you on television when I was a little kid. In fact, over my left shoulder here, that's me. That's a portrait of me painted by my, my grandfather when I was of Zoom watching age. It's Bernadette, I know you're trying to look. It's not a, you can't see it that well, but the point is, like that version of me over there was watching you guys and learning so much from you. And, and actually maybe even seeing in real time, Bernadette, the process of you becoming more confident, um, kind of with the egging on of, of more extroverted people like Leon. And <laughs> I think that's part of the value of Zoom. And then just cut to this year, this book comes out, or last year when I'm interviewing you, to learn the behind the scenes stuff. Like as soon as Leon and Bernadette told me the stories of that taxi ride they took with Lori Boskin to get to the WGBH studios. In my storytelling year, I think, oh my God, this is gold. Because you, you, you see shy Bernadette, extroverted Leon, and fairly confident gymnast Lori, you know, a black kid, a Chinese American kid, and a white kid, all kind of merging together, thrust together in this weird, you know, progressive TV situation. And yet it worked. And I think, I'm sorry, I'm going to ramble one, one last beat here, no. Dr. Joe. No, it's go, not go, go. Just, okay. 
I know that a lot of people are taking pleasure in the book for its nostalgic value. And I, and I don't uh, disagree with that. I, I actually applaud that because I think, especially in weird times like these with a pandemic, if there's comfort to be had in nostalgia, that's wonderful. But the more important thing beyond that is I kind of hope, maybe a little naively, that in reading this book, you see you, it's a model for a way forward, that we once had something kind of special. We once had shows that promulgated these great ideas, ideas and ideals. And maybe by reading this book and hearing your story, Leon, and hearing your story, Bernadette, and hearing your story, Joe, we're, we're, we, we could like younger people who read this book and say, that's how they did it. Yeah. You know, especially right now in this age of polarization, where we have so much unrest and political turmoil, which, which really was the background of Zoom and, and TV shows like that. That's the part that was just so amazing about it, is we were living in a place where you weren't really meant to talk with other folks that much. And, and, and there's a rift that we're returning if we have not already returned then. So are you hoping that maybe sunny days can be now, not just back then? Yeah, I mean, the title, you know, obviously is an allusion to um, the first line of the Sesame Street theme song, Sunny Day, Sweeping the Clouds Away. But um, it's not accidental that this book is entitled Sunny Days because it's meant to both be reassuring and evocative of, of that past era if you get it. But even if you don't get it, it's, it's meant to be a kind of hint, hint that sunny days, it's kind of like John and Yoka used to say, war is over if you want it. You know, sunny days are here if you want them. And I think we collectively want them. We have to see if there are other people out there who also want them. I'd like to think that the people who are listening to the Dr. Joe show are ones that, that want that and recognize that, that even the people who don't, they're still doing the best they can. And it's much more interesting to wonder why they don't than to be angry that they don't. And really, that's, that's what I'm hoping your book also does, is encourage that dialogue, because there was so much behind the scenes going on. And, and it's wonderful to read the book, because that's what you really describe. Um, but Brenda, was that the experience that you were having back then, that, that there was, I mean, was that part of this shyness or was there the cultural sort of overlay with that? Uh, well, I think some of it was cultural because I we moved to a town where there was only one other Asian family there and um, and and then everybody was white. Um, so uh, and we moved there when I was in second grade and I was still considered the new kid, you know, and I, I grew up there. I graduated from high school there. Um, but uh, I, I, I think I was kind of invisible un until I gained some confidence because I was just so different looking. And I remember when I was young, I grew up, I, I was born in New York City. So, and then I was in New Jersey and then came to Western Massachusetts. And I remember when, er, early in New Jersey, if I saw a little child uh, a white child, and they saw me or my family, they would start crying because they were they weren't used to seeing this face, this Asian face. So I, I knew that I was kind of scary, um, or I felt mm. that way, you know. And then culturally, yes, um, 
there's a generation thing going on too. We respect our elders. Uh, my father was just very playful and just wonderful and really fostered my creative side quietly. And, and we were very active. We were always going skiing or skating. He was always into dancing. And, um, but my mother was really more of a traditional mother and pretty strict. So, and, and she was a professor at Wellesley College. She did very well in life. Um, and she recently passed away. And, but I, I really think that that was a difficult time for me, my relationship with my mother. And she truly loved me. But I also think on top of the culture, she did have, and this is the first time I'm really revealing this, but, um, she did have some mental illness. So I was raised under that, also that uh, umbrella. So it was a cultural thing, also the narcissistic personality disorder. Um, and I've been in therapy since I was 18 years old to try not to replicate that with my children, my daughters, and, and to try not to uh, injure myself uh, emotionally and mentally, um, which wasn't always easy. And that's probably why I'm a healer now, because I attract the kind of clients that have gone through similar things that I've gone through, even though they don't know that I've gone through it. This is the first time mentioning it. but. It's interesting when you work in this kind of field, you do start to attract the kind of clients that, that you know, going through what I have processed through most of my life. So um, being on Zoom exposed me more to a wider audience, but it also exposed me, my world was at Channel 2. Uh, you know, behind the camera, I didn't know who else was there. It was a dark studio. My friends were there, Leon was there, we're playing, they've got the studio all painted and every week was a different theme and you'd hear the guys in the control room laughing or yelling, whichever it was, you know, come on, get them back, take two, take three, you know. The whole thing was just so much fun and so stimulating and that became my other family. It was really in my heart. Um, it gave me more confidence and then at school I got more attention which you know changed everything for me there um and i became more um outgoing um but i still have discomfort with that i was so grateful that david you know featured me in the new yorker article it was just it was one of the most amazing articles and i i actually cried when i read it because it was very honest and i don't remember the interview very well because i was taking care of my mom at the time and everything was just kind of a fog so when I read it, it was just written with such care and compassion and a lot of authenticity. I'm like, wow, did I really say that? But it was really, whenever I was able to convey to David, he, he just, he shared what was really deep in my heart. And um, I got a lot of attention, like Leon said on, on social media, and from old friends and present friends who didn't know that I was on Zoom because I really didn't really talk about it much. And it took me a f about a week to understand the process. I was very uncomfortable with it again. I was <laughs> getting back into that shy feeling of, oh, no, people are paying attention to me. But it was from my childhood of, re you know, worrying that uh, that would upset my mother because she didn't like it when I had the attention. And it caused a lot of um, strife at home when I'd come home from, from the show. And that's something I never really said much about either. So when this happened again with the article, I just kind of got worried, oh, my God, someone's going to get angry at me. And then I realized this is ridiculous. It's something I have to, you know, I, I'm learning to heal. And so I'm very grateful to David and uh, very grateful to, to my Zoom experience. Yeah, you know, I, I, first, I, I really appreciate you sharing these things. Um, and 
I think that reason that you can share these things is because people like David been able to bring out the trust by being honest and caring and Leon, you know, being an old friend. But but that's really part of what I think Zoom was trying to do as well, was to say it's okay to talk about these things. As a matter of fact, we encourage you to talk about these things because by talking with other people, you're sharing and you're realizing people aren't going, oh my God, yeah. don't tell, you can't talk about that, which which only caused more inhibition. Right. And so David, I, you know, for that alone, I, I want to thank you for creating an environment where people can truly share what they're experiencing and capturing that this was part of the essence of what was going on in television back then mm -hmm. in the 70s, at least for kids. Yeah, I mean, most, most of the feedback I've been getting is not so much about the book as people wanting to share their stories of watching Zoom or in Leon and Bernadette's case, being on Zoom, or of watching Sesame Street, or of watching uh, Free to Be You and Me. People want to share their experiences because it, it, it made them feel good to remember how that felt. And I think, again, how do we uh, remake that scenario? I, you know, that's, that's one of the yields I hope this book gives us. And um, Leon, I, I think, is a good example. Leon, you told me that kind of like, well, it, all of this kind of came from Lyndon Johnson's Great Society, the, the idea that we, if we lift up the least fortunate among us, we lift all of us, all of us up. And Leon, mm -hmm. you told me you, you were also a Head Start kid, a Head Start mm -hmm. program kid too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been. My life is really interesting sometimes to me. <laughs> it's like. You know, there, there are many things that have happened in my life, and I think a lot of it happened because of the opportunity of being on Zoom, the national television show, and lots of people seeing it and being touched by it. I think that uh, the Zoom raps, the Zoom do's, the Zoom guests, it involved the world. It, it involved the people who watched, the people who not only were part of the program because I remember even a friend of mine being a Zoom guest one time. And then Donna later on being a, 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 a Zoomer herself, sending in something that was done. So it was a, 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 a real social network thing that was really happening at that time period. And, you know, the things that were going on inside the world being a multicultural, before the word even was known or being used, a multicultural aspect situation and showing that it can work, you know, as different people from different places and different backgrounds, we can all be here together. Uh, I remember us taking off our shoes and being barefoot, you know, it's just a, a sense of trust, a sense of we're all the same, even though we're different. You know, uh, I I know I know my background totally different from everyone. I'm I'm from the projects. You know, I I remember being in line for welfare, getting canned chicken and box cheese. You know, to being 
someone that later in life I found that people like Forrest Whitaker said to me, I'm acting because of you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, 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 Eddie Vedder dropping down on his knees, you know. And so what we, what we did as innocence and real, you know, it's still who I am. <laughs> you know, I'm... I'm still a Zuma. <laughs> okay. You know, so I think it's I think it was a a a chance for the world and society to be able to see and be able to want that for them, you know, because I didn't know anything about Chinese until I met Bernadette. One one she one she she one shang. What? <laughs> Come on. I, when I say that now, Chinese people look at me and go, what? Well, yeah. <laughs> Everybody loves Saturday night, he said in Chinese, because we did oh. that song in different languages. Very good, Leon. It's still with me. Do you understand? This, this, this other culture, this other, you know, environment is still embraced by me who is from the you know i'm from the projects like i said i used to do all kind of things <laughs> <laughs> so what, what's this like for you David? i mean you, you had a chance to, to interview leon and bernadette and now you're chatting with us all here yeah. what's the experience like for you right now I am, I am levitating. Um, it, this is a levitational experience. This is surreal because I'm, <laughs> I, you, know, I'm you know, like seven-year-old me. Seven-year-old me is, is inside of this me, and he's like, what the hell is going on? I, it's um, and also also to talk with you all because you know, adulthood is a great leveler. And uh, you know, Le Leon talked to me about the flip side of Zoom, that Zoom was the... the, um, the aspirational perfect world but I, I talked about the the boston busing crisis and leon you told me this didn't even make it into the book that you know that cab ride with bernadette and Lori was the idealized version of what desegregation would look like mm -hmm. but leon experienced the worst case scenario of of having stuff thrown at your bus right and and being yeah. pelted with stuff and well, so yeah. yeah yeah i mean even to this day okay bernadette Last night, I was riding my bike, and the little girl who lives across the my neighbor, across the way from me, she saw me and screamed, ah, ee, mommy. You know, I still, to this day, experience these, these issues that people have. You know, where I just stopped to turn on my lights so that I could be seen. And then she saw the lights doing all this, I got these lights all wrapped all around the bike and they do all kind of crazy designs. <laughs> she, the lights, the lights. Aww. And I was like, yes. <laughs> you know, a, a, uh, but you gotta, you know, you gotta see, you mm. know, you gotta see this. And I try and see that in every person, in every person. Because we all have a drum. We're all a drum. 
a heart beats a rhythm. Yeah. And we all can communicate. So and I think I think all the listeners and, and viewers need to know that Leon is a professional percussionist. So he comes by this really honestly. Yes, he is. World famous. Oh, thank you. I just do what I do. You know, th this is part of what what I'm really hoping for is we're, we're at this really weird time globally, this pandemic. Uh, and we've been speaking about this on the Dr. Joe show. This is the great equalizer. You know, the, the coronavirus doesn't say, well, you know, I'm only going to pick on this group. I mean, there's some to that maybe with age, but, but in general, everyone's vulnerable. We're all in this together. And that's part of what we're really hoping to, to sort of reframe what's going on here. There's no question, this is a scary time. And it's, and it's horrible, people are dying and we, we mourn that. But the other side of it is we're all in this together. And, and this is this moment. And that's why I think the timing of this book, and I, my guess is David, you were not planning on publishing the book during a pandemic um but well, it was not part of the the uh the, the campaign that we drew up no pandemic no. was not on the list it was not on the list you know it was a difficult time in my life as well not for the same reasons but my parents were going through a pretty brutal divorce and it was uh zoom was a, was a haven where all of a sudden there was a, a place that was welcoming and calm and loving and um it was just such an important part. My, I mean, it was humor also. My, my mother used to say she was a divorcee, but always wanted to be a widow. Um, but um, that was just my, my mother's sort of dark sense of humor. So while we're off air, we're, we're talking a little bit about some of the, the political background um, that was going on then in the 60s and 70s. Um, but also, we're also mentioning, and David, I appreciate you bringing him up, Talking about Christopher Sarson. Christopher Sarson um, was, you know, the creator uh, of yeah. Zoom. Hello, Leon's back. Um, and you had a chance to interview Christopher, right, David? So you want to just talk about what, what he was saying about Zoom? Yeah, Christopher, for those of you who don't know, Christopher Sarson was a producer at WGBH, an Englishman who, uh, with his wife, moved here and was, was, was raising kids and uh, the whole impetus for him, in fact, wanting to start a program like this was kind of, he witnessed in his own kids some of the, um, the shyness and social reluctance that Bernadette earlier described. Um, how do kids, when they're in that on the cusp of teenage years, when they're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, how, do, how, can, how could he help them navigate these situations better? And how could he use kids to model to model good behavior, and he said, he said it's so much better when kids are learning rather than being taught. And the big distinction there was one thing that was distinct about Zoom is that you never saw adults on screen, uh, even though I, I know there were adults kind of off camera who were giving you prompts occasionally. To the viewer at home, who is me and my sister and every other kid in America, it, you you you, di you didn't see other adults. You didn't see any adults on the screen, and so you saw kids kind of self 
moderating. And as I say in the book, the result wasn't a Hobbesian state of nature like Lord of the Flies. The result was this, it wasn't always easy. It could be bumpy. I remember Tishy, who was a, a member of one of the cast talking about how, you know, Puerto Ricans should stick with Puerto Ricans and blacks should stick with blacks, etc. But But the way that these sort of thorny situations were navigated, that's what Christopher Sarson wanted. And he was a real visionary for, for wanting to do this. And again, I'm rambling, but Joe, can you give me one more beat on this? Go ahead. Okay. Uh, Joan Gans Cooney, who's another one of the big heroes of my book, she co-created Sesame Street. She has a great quote where she said, in the late 60s and early 70s, there was so much bad news. There was the Vietnam War, there were Kent State shootings, um, ecological apocalypse seemingly about to happen. And she said, people are watching TV and looking at the TV and saying, so do something. And she said, and one day the television did something. And what she's talking about is that she did something, Christopher Sarson did something, Fred Rogers did something. They thought, let's start from the, and Mar Marlo Thomas of Free to Be You and Me, let's start from the ground up. Let's blow it up and start it all over again by getting kids to realize that they could live in a better world than, than the one that we adults are struggling through. I'm so glad that you took that beat, you know, because <laughs> That's it, and and well, Leon looks pretty tired. I think I wore Leon out with that ramble. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm wide. He's in a different time zone. Different time zone. <laughs> um, Not here in Hawaii. But you know, when I was when I was reading through your your book, I, I and I've I've told this to Christopher many times, how much that experience influenced my entire career as a psychiatrist, certainly as a kid, but. But the idea of having kids talking with other kids, peer to peer, I mean, that's drug story theater. I mean, that's what drug story theater is. It's a group of kids going through their struggles with addiction, trying to help other kids not go down that road. The idea of value and respect, which is what Zoom was all about, that, that we're all in this together, that there's an integration. You know, it, it has absolutely created the foundation for everything that I have done. You know, the I am approach is absolutely right out of Zoom. The idea that, you know, we're all doing the best we can. That we all want the same thing. We just want to feel valued. And that's what Zoom really was. I mean, that's the stories that I hear from every one of these Zoom kids. It just reminded us of our value. And that's what we were hoping to do. We didn't know and we didn't know that's what we were doing. But that's who we are as human beings. Babies are not born with, with these bias. Babies are born thinking that they're actually just one big baby. There's a connection. You don't form the identity or the real, even the realization that you're a separate person until months and months and months into your life. You know, and, and I, I just, I just get overwhelmed by this because that's part of the message that we were trying to do with Zoom. That's what we're doing here. And David, that's what you've been able to capture. So I'm so grateful for that. But how did you get the idea to begin with, to, to write something like this? What was going on? Well, the idea, it, it happened in 2015. So that was a very different world from 2020, even, even though it was only five years ago. It was pre the 2016 election, obviously pre-pandemic, but even then, I was feeling a sense of brokenness in society, that, 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 that something had been lost, some kind of sense of mutual understanding. 
And again, I keep stressing that I want people to enjoy the nostalgic aspect if it makes them happy. But it wasn't just about nostalgia. It was about this was a period when, you know, for it was an experiment. It was a very experimental period. There were some mistakes made, like not everything about Zoom worked. Not everything about wow. Sesame Street worked. But the willingness oh, to take these chances, uh, I, I still think the yield of, of, no, of the experiments was better than, 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 than not experimenting at all. And that was actually, uh, I think, the forward of, of your book, um, or the introduction, you, you used the word flawed. So I was curious, in, in some place in there you said, the ideas were great, even though they were flawed. Is that what you're talking about? That they, I mean, they weren't perfect. Well, well Joan Gans Cooney, uh, again, the co-creator of Sesame Street, she talks about how Sesame Street in its early years, its first five years, there was no presumption that it was going to be renewed every year. And so she considered it an experiment. And inherent in any experiment is failure. And there were going to be things that didn't quite work. And like there, there, uh, there was a segment that Jim Henson did, not with the Muppets, but live action. It was a counting segment. And there was a guy, a baker in a chef's token, a white uh, outfit, who uh, it, if, if, they would, if the number of the week was two, he would have a tray saying two chocolate cream pies. And he would tumble head over heels down the stairs. And, you know, to him, it was just hilarious slapstick comedy. But it got a lot of uh, angry mail from, from viewers and actually a critique from Fred Rogers, who said, this isn't fun for kids because you got to bear in mind that a lot of kids of Sesame Street watching age have only recently learned how to walk. So to see some guy completely collapse with a tray dropping dishes, that, that was actually upsetting and it was overriding the potential educational value. And you could sort of say, oh, Fred Rogers, don't be such a Chris. But then you look at the reader mail in the archives. I looked at the archives of all these shows at the uh, Children's Television Workshop archives are at the University of Maryland. And you can see all these pained letters from parents saying, my kid was upset by this. So as much as, as an adult, I could appreciate that comedy, I can see why kids were traumatized by it. And so that's an example of where something did fail, but it wasn't a tragic failure. It was just something they moved on from. Right, but also a great learning experience, you know? great learning experience. So the approach to marketing a book like this, can we just talk about that for a moment? Um, how how do we market it? I mean, because we want to help you with it. I mean, it's already taken oh. off. We know that, but. You're very sweet, no. thank you. But how, how do you just go about doing that? I mean, you've been, you've been a writer for Decades since how long? Yeah, you can when say When did you that. Part, your first I'm, article? I'm a little younger public. than all you think, right? You know, Mark, but um, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I've been writing right. since around 1990, so, something like that. Right. So, can we go back to, to that? What was that like? The first piece that you got published that that sort of got you on this road. What was that like for you? What was that? Um, Taking you away. Like, I, Spy, Magazine. Spy Magazine was a satirical magazine that existed in the late 80s, and, and uh, it, I, I loved it. I, I, I've always had a humorous bent, too, and I had some stuff published there when I was you know, 22 or something. And I just want to say I've never been ever, to this day, I'm not jaded by seeing my name in print. And I think I was a lot like Bernadette. I was inherently a shy kid who couldn't believe that someone wanted to hear me. Mm. Um, 
Leon, I don't know where you got the confidence because you said you were always an extroverted kid. And I'm more curious about how does that work because that's more alien to me. Well, you know, I, I grew up in the Amalu school. Wait, 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 wait. Did you see what just happened? That was brilliant, David. David absolutely just sort of shifted that whole thing away from him onto Leon, just demonstrating exactly that people who may be a little introverted may remain that way for a while. I'm sorry, I, I just I, I just couldn't help noticing that. But go ahead, Leon. I, I genuinely want to hear how how confidence <laughs> in extroversion works, Leon, because I don't understand it. <laughs> Go ahead, Leon. Let's hear it. I started at the Avalua School of Fine Arts, and there I was exposed to all phases of entertainment. Dance, music, drama, you know, everything. So that's where I got a lot of it. But I later learned from Bob Marley, confidence, that's your best weapon. When you learn to develop the confidence in yourself, there's nothing that you can't do. And know yourself is to know everything else. It is so true. Very young, I want to be this. It's true. Now maybe comparing it to today a little bit, maybe? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Because there's a lot of content out there, David, right now, and I have children at the age of these actors that performed at Zoom, and you and I both watched it, but we both stood up and turned the channel, and there was three channels that we could turn to, and we landed on PBS and watched them in order, but now there's the internet, and there's YouTube, and there's so much out there. Where is the responsibility in the people that are producing the content for our children now. It is inherently harder, and I actually talk about this in the book, that one of the reasons that Zoom was so impactful and influential at the time was that we had more of what I call a monoculture, meaning everyone watched and listened, watched the same TV stations, listened to the same radio stations, because the choice was so much more whittled down versus what we have today. Um, so it's a lot harder to grab the attention of people these days in this kind of atomized media culture. Um, All that said, I still think there's the potential to create something with the power of Zoom or of Sesame Street again. Um, I mean, Sesame Street persists, but I kind of think we just need more ingenuity. And another big component is there was a big public component of um, that, you know, that Zoom received public funding. Sesame Street, the electric company, initially half of their annual budget came from the federal government. When Sesame Street went on the air in November 1969, Richard Nixon, Secretary of Education, appeared on TV a few days beforehand and said, be sure to tune in for our new show, Sesame Street. Meaning it was like the government was saying, my new show is dropping on Tuesday. It it was extraordinary. We don't see that kind of public investment in uh, TV anymore. And I know we're living, our current government is like the antithesis of what I'm talking about. And I don't even want to get into vitriol or vituperation But we know now that we're living in this pandemic era that we have to remake society. We know society is broken. We know that we're gonna have to 
uh, have a new normal where we're prepared with stockpiles of PPE? And why don't we have stockpiles of good educational technique? And Mark, to answer your question, when we all had to transfer abruptly to having our kids uh, learn virtually by, by, by the very yeah. screens we're on now, that was an improvised reaction. We, we just muddled through. I feel terrible for these teachers who are having to figure it out on the fly. The, di the distinction is that Zoom took its time to develop. Sesame Street, con from conception to execution, took three and a half years to develop to really do remote learning and it'll never be a substitute for classroom learning. But if it's going to be part of the picture, if Bernadette's going to be doing her healing sessions some of the time via the screen, if Leon's going to be doing concerts some of the time via screen, there's we, we've got to prepare. There's got to be a lot of forethought and preparation because right now we're muddling through. And that is where having a federal public response helps. We're having, we're having big government and big structure can be useful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very true. I, I do, you know, second the funding and things that were going on during that time. I remember, yeah, it was federal. And nowadays, you don't get that. You know, the, 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 the spectrum is much wider than what it was then. I think, you know, it's important to find one, one thing that as a, I guess, a world, we can we can focus on and 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 kind of generate something that is positive you know for ever for everyone and include everyone you know like 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 you were saying dr joe it doesn't it doesn't just affect one person it affects us all and zoom was an all and i remember dr uh uh rex trailer and Chris doing Zoom up or Zoom in, what it was, you know, before Zoom. Right. You know, I saw that piece that Tommy did. It was just so revealing, so thought of, so researched, so well-developed, you know, and it was governmental. It was federal. It was, you know, through, 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 through the people, you know, and we need something like that today. Yeah, there, there's, again, so much polarization right now, but there doesn't need to be. I, I really believe that. You know, I, I'd like to think that we are right on the cusp of that revolution again, where we can rethink these things. And in, in terms of, of, you know, the remote stuff, I mean, Leon, you're, you're, what's going on with the, the concerts or Bernadette with, you know, with helping people. I mean, we, we, we're not able to do it face to face right now in the same way, at least not in the same space. What's that like also for you? And, and, and also David, I mean, normally, right. When you, when you just published a book, you'd be maybe going on book tours and, and, and giving, you know, presentations. I mean, the whole thing is different. You know, the whole thing. So, David, just to get to you, how are you doing this? How how are you getting out there, publicizing the book, and you're not, not able to go on the tours? Well, just just doing my best, and, and you know, like like doing events like this. And I, I think it's important to admit that it's hard and that 
I don't think any of us feels great every day. I think that everyone, each of us has a really bad day or even a really bad hour of every day. This is a struggle. This this shouldn't be how it is. And I mean, it's it's temporary, this pandemic situation. But the fact that we're even in this situation is indicative of, um, as I said, when I, what was the conception of the book? That even in 2015, I perceived a brokenness in American society. And that, that makes us have to do a lot of thinking about what do we have to remake in society? And not in some uto utopian, naive way. What pragmatic steps can we take to make sure that we're in better shape and we're taking care of each other? And uh, I'm always going to ask for that one more beat, Dr. Joe, because I'm rambling. You got I'm it. Rambling. Uh, catch me when I'm rambling. You're not. Okay. Generous <laughs> <laughs> audience. That that's that's that low self-esteem introvert. <laughs> uh, doing fine, Dave. Go ahead. I want to hear. Oh. Um, I'm going to say that anyone listening, not anyone, but a lot of people listening to this program and watching it um, on the live stream. We're preaching to the converted, the people who know about Zoom and know about you, Dr. Joe, and know about Leon and Bernadette. You're going to say, oh, yeah, it's all the same group. It's an echo chamber. But I, I'm interested in, in getting beyond that. Like, let's say there's someone who stumbled upon this accidentally or, or, or intentionally just to see what those idiots are, are, are saying. I want them to give it a thought that, like, you might say, Ugh, this is all very kumbaya. And you'll think of that term pejoratively. But then stop, take a step back, and say, maybe I should give kumbaya a try. Maybe kumbaya has been overused as a pejorative trope by a certain segment of the population. Maybe kumbaya is the answer. David, you are, you are talking I am. This is what the I am approach is all about. Instead of judging each other as less than and broken, let's look again at why we do what we do based on the influence of four domains, your home, the social domain, which is the rest of the world, the biological domain of your brain and body, and the I see. How do I see myself? How do I think other people see me? So instead of judging, let's look again at why we do what we do. And think about those words, look again, again look, again to repeat something, look like a spectator. Let's respect why people do what they do. And that's really what it's about. So we're almost out of time. I'm going to ask each of you. We'll start with Bernadette, then go to Leon, then end with you, David, real quick. The IM has two rules. The first, small changes have big effects. Everything interconnects. Small change is a big effect. Bernadette, what small change can you recommend to our listening audience that can have a big effect on them to help them get through corona? Uh, to learn to be more gentle with yourself. Be kinder. Uh, when you notice you go into the habitual, and this is, I'm telling myself this, habitual negative, oh, my hair doesn't look right today. I try to stop that. And I just try and go into the neutral and then try to find something positive to just say. Because it does become a habit and it does kind of snowball out of control. And if I do that in front of someone, then maybe they will find that it's an invitation for them to do the same. Great, great small change. Leon? Small changes have big effects. What do you recommend? The smallest change that can happen that will have a big effect is love. Mm. You know? Love, 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 love the other. You know what I mean? Love yourself. Love yourself and love the other. And that will make a big change. Yeah. David, small changes can have big effects. I think uh, acknowledge to someone else when you're not feeling so hot 
and uh, you either let them comfort you or let the, or have some solidarity in the fact that, that you share that feeling because uh, I think a lot of people don't want to uh, it, admit that they're that they're they're in a in a, in a bad moment and, and and they need that solidarity. Yeah, David, I'm just going to give this to you because we got one minute. The I am as a second rule. Because everyone's interconnected, you control no one, you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. David, what kind of influence are you hoping to be? Well, I felt pretty helpless the last four years, and I'm, you know, putatively a person in a position of privilege. I'm a professional writer, a white guy who's in New York City. I don't, but I'm like, what can I do to help? And we all have something to contribute. And I realized, like, this book, like, just... You never know if a book's going to connect with people. It's just like I, I'm not a great orator. I'm not a great TV personality. But just just following through on what I was good at that was doing this book, and this book is the bit that I could do to just like supposedly advance, you know, the the, the state that we're in, you know, to to lift help lift us up out. So just do your bit, do what you're good at, and that's you know that's my answer. Thank you. All of you, thank you so much for being here tonight. And Christopher Sarson, we missed you. Thanks for creating all of this. Wouldn't be able to do it without you. Thank you, Zoom Pop.